0: Ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, it's Friday, September 19th, 2014 and it is a gloomy day here in Florida which is not normal for us. Uh, But we have got a great show for you today, and uh, back by popular demand is Holly Green. Holly, welcome back. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, I am excited to talk about your new book, but before we jump into that, for those uh, who weren't with us the first time we had you uh, on the show to talk about more than a minute, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, I will tell you a little bit about my educational background to start because that's kind
1: of th- what this book really plays to. Um, I always tell people to start I have a B.A. and B.S., but, and that's true, <laughs> but it's behavioral science. <laughs> and I have a master's of science in organization development. My postgraduate work is neurophysiology. So how and why do we think and behave the way we do at work, and how and why do those other weird people we work with think and behave the way that they do? And that's really kind of the sandbox that we played in with using your brain to win. Um, And we combine that with all of my experiences. I've run several companies, including the Ken Blanchard Companies, um, a biotech startup called Lumed, and I've worked for some of the world's greatest companies. And I currently consult to everyone from Google and Arby's and Hilton and Hyatt to pest control companies and other small and mid-sized businesses around the globe. So we sort of bring all of those things to bear and really wrote Using Your Brain to Win to create application-oriented things that each of us can do to visit and play with our brain and use it just a little bit more effectively in a hyper-paced world.
0: Well, and I love that because every time uh, my husband starts talking about technology, and he's he's about six 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 and a half years older than I am, Uh, And and really, for a guy in his 60s, is is pretty technology savvy. But it frustrates him to death that we really are operating, uh, you know, at a faster pace than we ever have. And technology really hasn't helped that.
1: (laughs) Well, I always say technology is primarily the enabler of that speed. (laughs) It really uh, continues to enable us faster, even though our brains are not set up. To do that well at all you know it causes a lot of dysfunctional behaviors everything okay. from as you know talking on our phone in the car which is not a good idea <laughs> right. um, to texting while driving um, you know texting even while walking which we see about 30,000 hospital level injuries a year um, you know people doing that so it causes us to believe we can multitask when in fact we cannot as creatures. We are just simply not constructed to do it. And so it's really interesting that there are all sorts of dysfunctions because of it. And we know logically it's not a great idea to run into a meeting and nobody be prepared and not have an agenda and, you know, kind of waste an hour of our life. And yet we do it time and time and time again instead of spending that five minutes maybe up front and prep and make sure everyone's clear
0: and do it well. Right. Well, you start off this new book, uh, which is called Using Your Brain to Win in Today's Hyper-Paced World. And, and the, the book starts off talking about today's race and getting rid of distractions. And we've just talked about a major distraction, which is technology itself, which is supposed to be an enabler. But, but yeah. what are the primary distractions that don't allow us to win in the way that we should be?
1: Well, it's this constant messaging that we're getting to run. Um, every, Every tool we've got, every message we're exposed to from almost every sort of channel there is tells us that speed is more important even than our survival. So it's fascinating to me that we're constantly shouting at people to run from the moment they wake up until they go to bed at night, not to do it well, not to get it right, but just to run. And, and that cuts across everything. It cuts across everything we do. Um, and, and, and again, technology underlies most of that. That has been the single greatest change um, that's contributed to PACE. But then we collude with it, right? And so I'll give you a great example. It's always funny to me. As you know, I do a lot of keynotes and um, speaking engagements around the world. And so a client will call and say, you know, we're bringing together our top 200 leaders, some of them have never met one another. It's really critical they form relationships. And the first thing that people do as soon as there's a break is go to their phone. They don't talk to their colleagues. They don't share their wisdom or brilliance. They go to their phone. And they check on things that, honestly, um, a survey in CIO Magazine not long ago said that, you know, if we we let our email go 24 hours, almost 80% of it would be irrelevant. It would go away. We wouldn't even have to worry about it. And so it's fascinating that we just collude with this in a thousand different ways um, to really move at a pace that's just not efficient or effective for us in any way, shape, form, or fashion.
0: Well, and, and in the beginning of the next chapter, which which really goes back to I, I would assume the physiology of things, the basics of how we think, you start out talking about how our brains are out to get us. And so, if <laughs> if half of us or, or somewhere around half of us are introverts to begin with, and are, you know our jobs have forced us into being extroverts, mm-hmm. well, then that retiring to our phone is is a completely normal behavior. <laughs> But, but, what other ways do our our brains sabotage us?
1: Well, you know, we have a lot of assumptions um, and belief, what we call bubbles, about the world, and we're not set up to be logical or rational creatures. It's just again, not how we're constructed. And so we make decisions primarily based on that initial, typically emotional, irrational response, and then we quickly move to proving ourselves right. And that means we screen out any data that says we're potentially wrong. And so you can, you know, you can look at, I'll just use one simple statistic, 87% of the Fortune 500 since 1967 are gone today, 87%. So, you know, recent ones you can think about, Blockbuster, Kodak, right, Pan Am, Washington Mutual, Hostess. And I can't find anybody who's willing to um, invest in Sears right now, Right? right? Radio Shack, Sears, you know, and it's fascinating because those were incredibly successful organizations with very smart individuals that worked there, but they got caught in that what we call kind of success syndrome of constantly proving what they'd done in the past and how right they were despite a preponderance of data to the contrary. Right. And this is one, this is a huge problem for us. It's a huge problem because we make assumptions that we know that we're right. And the more successful we've been at something in the past, the more these bubbles we have that tell us really what to see and what not to see in the world. Right, really and you are so people. right. I
0: just got off the phone with an investor not an hour ago, and we were talking about the major travel technology companies, which if you consult with uh, hotels, you're probably familiar with the global distribution mm-hmm. system companies. And he was asking if I would invest in them because, you know, uh, two of them are already public and one is going back public uh, very soon. And I said, no. <laughs> and Yeah. Trying to prove that what they have been successful at in the past is the right thing to focus on for the future, and their brains will not let them think any other way.
1: Yeah, it is truly fascinating. You know, again, we we look at a Kodak and we say, wow, they led the U.S. stock markets for eight decades. They invented digital photography. They had all the data in the world at their fingertips. They knew things were changing. They knew what the trends were and, and it's not that they ignored them. They just disagreed with them, and so they discounted that information.
0: And, we right, do and that the funny thing, thing is their new CEO used to run a global distribution system.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, you know, I, I um, earlier this year, Nikon announced a whole new strategic direction, and they're now right. going to make medical device. Um, devices and that you know that's, they may be a little too late to that party. Right, we'll see if they're able to really turn quickly. But you know that that's the kind of information that you want to act on. Is gosh the world is aging? We're we're creating and developing more and more and more medical devices globally. Um, gosh, we have the plants, we have the equipment. Maybe that's something we should look at since people aren't actually purchasing cameras much anymore. Right. right. <laughs> And so, you know, you look at something like that, and you go, well, that's that's pretty smart that they did that. Now, again, that may be a little too late to that party. We'll see. But, you know, Kodak had the same information and chose to ignore it. Blockbuster had a lot more information than Netflix did, unquestionably so, a lot more resources. Right. You know, and instead they went and they hired the former CEO of 7-Eleven to make the big box experience great. Well, all the data in the world and all the trends said that's not what people wanted, but they were certain that that is what they wanted, right? And and this just this plays out in every meeting we go into. Um, it, it plays out constantly. You know, we get shocked when our largest competitor leaves us because we kind of took them for granted. We forgot, right, right. that we needed to constantly be re-recruiting them. Um, we forget to look up and look around, and that's one of the techniques that we talk is talk about a lot is about balancing the big picture and the details. The faster you run, the more you focus or overfocus on details, the more you're to-doing constantly. You're reacting, you're responding, you're to-doing. You are driven by other things instead of you driving the right things, right? And so we are always talking to clients about make sure you're carving out some time to subscribe to some trend-watching services. And there's so many of them that are free today. Yes. And that you're you're just paying attention to what's going on in the world. You're actually having your team look at those publications, those industry magazines you have in your office that you swear you're going to read, but you never really are. Um, you know, and you're having somebody look at it and do a five-minute executive summary once a month on some new concept or idea. That you're looking at your competitors' websites. That you're taking advantage of your industry or professional association, you know, resources that they have to offer. There's so many things that you can do that prompt your brain, even if it's just for a minute or two, to slow down just enough to look up and see what some of those changes are and consider them. Just consider them briefly in your go forward.
0: Right. Well, well, I love how – go ahead. Go ahead. No, you finished. I'm sorry.
1: It's um, just, uh, that, just one of the simplest techniques that we almost always teach right up front because your brain needs a diversity of data.
0: Got it. Got it. Well, you talk in Chapter 2 about the danger of relying on your brain, and and I love how you start this chapter because you you talk about you've got to stop running red lights when you see the signal that says you've got to stop. I was talking to one of my colleagues yesterday, and she said she uh, was going to drive her son's car downtown. Uh, she was going to be uh, getting it ready to sell, and something told her when she got in that car not to do it. And as she, even as she was turning the first turn and and, and different things, and she ended up uh, thinking she was in first gear, and she was really in third gear. And halfway to where she was going, she burned out the clutch. And she said, "If I oh, had no. only listened to that internal voice, right, and yeah. and I saw the signs and I I felt it before it even happened, and so I'm sure you know that this happens in our everyday life."
1: Well, it's fascinating. Um, there's the good and the bad of that sort of internal voice. Now, see, she actually had data. Something didn't feel right to her, and she had data, and she sort of ignored the data and considered. And, and thought she was relying on her gut. She really wasn't. She had the data, right? Something didn't feel right. Right. So it's fascinating. When we're, when we're paying attention, when we become more intentional to, to think, to visit our brain, we can process that data and we can make the right decisions. We're very smart creatures, most of us, you know, <laughs> naturally. Right. So, um, so she had it and she chose to invalidate the data, and, and you know now multiply that times a thousand at a large company and you see how this is so easy to do right? right so there's there's the good and the bad of you know there have been some people in recent years who've said you know always go with your gut that's the right thing well that's not necessarily true at all and in fact what i would tell you is always you know think about your gut and and did you develop your gut because you actually had data and you just can't put your thumb on it that's different right right um and, and take a moment and just consider the data take a moment and consider because your gut does not always serve your will your gut um oftentimes when it's not based in data is going off previous assumptions biases stereotypes beliefs that were formed in the past
0: right the that's what i was going to bring up next that assumption mm-hmm. inventory you you say actually stop making stuff up yeah yeah
1: yeah we're we're really great as creatures Um, at making stuff up and then proving it right because, of course, you know, one time I lived down the street from that person twice removed from that lady who was my next-door neighbor who, you know, was in that bathtub in New Orleans and had her kidney taken out and put in a bathtub of ice, right? (laughs) Well, that never happened in any any person ever in the history of mankind, but it was one of the greatest internet myths forever. And it's fascinating because even anecdotal data our brain processes as actual. It doesn't discern. So we have to be really clear and, and slow down just enough to think about what we're thinking about. What are we thinking about? What, you know, When I used to work for the Coca-Cola company. You know, I can remember so clearly we would not even interview someone who had ever worked at Pepsi. Well, how stupid was that, right? <laughs> it was a ridiculous bias that we had. Um, and it's fascinating because, you know, unquestionably we wouldn't do it, and so we missed out on a lot of great talent. Um, and we right. needed to be clear that that was just a bias, not based in any fact or truth, but, you know, based in our branding or loyalty, if you will. And we have a lot of those. You know, gosh, remember one time when we hired somebody from that company they didn't work out so good. We're never going to do that again. Gosh, we tried right. that two years ago. You know, that didn't work. Um, customers weren't ready for it, so that's stupid. We're definitely not going to do that. Well, that was two years ago. Things right. changed. Right. And we have to. Yeah, and I, I wrote a blog
0: yesterday called Never Say Never, and it was very much about that. Um, yeah. So it, you, you've talked about a couple of things here and, and that are actually covered in Chapter 3, which is get clear on, on winning. And you had already mentioned the slowdown so that you can go fast. And what you just mentioned was avoiding biases. Uh, eliminating the but in, in uh, you know, we should do this but. And, and um, what I'd like to focus on here just really quickly before we move on to the next chapter is this whole emotional reaction and thought bubbles that you have. Yeah. Well,
1: you know, it, it's just the way we're constructed to work. And it's you know it served us incredibly well back when there were saber toothed tigers and we needed to worry. Um, so <laughs> it, it, we we've got to be cautious. We we respond emotionally, somewhat instinctually initially, and we've got to have the discipline to layer on that. Okay, wait a minute. Why am I thinking this way, responding this way, and to layer on the logic, right? Your brain does not discern between, on many, many levels between a real and an imagined thought. So if you think about this just for a minute, um, if you've ever been to a scary movie, why? You knew you weren't really in danger, right? <laughs> right? But at some point you jumped, you maybe screamed, the same toxins were released into your system as if you really were. So your brain doesn't discern very well, right? This goes to the same notion of self-talk. You know, people who tell themselves, I'm not good at this, I'm not good enough, et cetera. Well, guess what? Your brain does not know that's not fact or truth. Right. And so you believe it and it becomes true, right? That's that self-fulfilling kind of self-talk, which is so insanely powerful. So these emotional initial responses um, do not necessarily serve us well. You know, sometimes they do. If I'm in a car, someone pulls in front of me, instinctually I hit the brakes or slow down or whatever I need to do. That's a really good instinctual response, Right. Right, But just think about how many times you see someone at work instantly roll their eyes or check out of a meeting um, because you said a word or pushed a button that they don't even know is a button, right, and they had an emotional response to that. And they're not even clear where it came from. Maybe it's because you happen to look like their third-grade teacher who gave them an F, even though they tried really hard on their school project, and they've carried that with them forever, right? Right. <laughs> so, so we need to be aware of where some of those things are coming from so that we can sort of check in and and either validate or invalidate them when it's appropriate.
0: Right. Now, the first half of the book seems to be uh very focused on on yourself and and really yourself more in isolation uh than the second half of the book. The second half of the book begins with talking about getting aligned with others and informing other people and communicating so talk to us about when two brains interact because that's you know since we're talking about the brain now we've got not one but two or more. So what are the different dynamics that happen when you uh, get involved with other people, and how do you get people aligned? Well, the the first and
1: most important technique, if you will, or approach is to get crystal clear on winning. And this is kind of the foundation of all of the work we do, whether it's at the individual level or it's at the corporate or team level. Um, You've got to be able to articulate with specificity what the goal state is. And and, and it's not a set of goals or targets. It's what it looks like when you get to your destination. So we actually call it destination modeling. And, and of course, there are a variety of approaches you can take to do this at a company level. Whether you're the leader, you've got it clear in your head and you proclaim it to others, or whether you involve the whole company or the team in, in deciding what that destination is. You've got, and there's pros and cons, by the way, to all of those approaches, as there almost is for everything, some set of disadvantages and advantages. You've got to get crystal clear and be able to define that destination with specificity, not just margin, EBITDA, and revenue, right? People's day to day actions are not driven by your EBITDA target. <laughs> it's
0: just, right. They're
1: simply not. <laughs> and so you've got to define the destination with specificity. Once you've done that, Then we encourage you to engage others in what's called future active past tense questioning. And that's around the how did we get there? Who did we? What did we? When did we? How did we? As if we're already there. And so you ask a series of questions to prompt the brain to really explore um, possibilities and alternatives on how you achieve success, how you got to a destination. And you do this continuously. So even when someone says, well, that deal fell through and, you know, I didn't get my quota this month, um, you say, well, okay, well, that, you know what, that makes some sense. That's valid. Let's talk about next month when you have overachieved, how you open those new doors, who were the best referral sources for you, what new language did you use that really resonated with our, our clients. Mm. You constantly use what is a presumptive approach because here's the cool thing. This gets back to what we talked about just a moment ago you are great at proving yourself right. So if you get your brain to a place where it's conjuring what you've done as if it's already done, you start looking for ways to prove yourself right and you act on that. Absolutely. And it, it, it's Absolutely. it's, it's, it's that hard is work. so true. You know, it's not. this is not about sit around and hope good things are going to happen to you, which was kind of a fad a few years back. This is about get really clear on the win and then work your tail end off to get there. Right. I, I always look I I've I've had the privilege of working with our United States Navy SEALs, top gun fighter pilots. The elite work incredibly hard. Incredibly hard. Right. So this is it's an and both scenario. You've gotta be clear on the destination. You've got to open your brain on how you got to that destination, constantly exploring, pondering um all those possibilities and alternatives, and then you have to act on it constantly. Right. It's the doing in the end, right, that, that gets you there. It's not the good intention.
0: And and so getting your head out of the way is also what it sounds like uh, is a key success factor here, that getting aligned with others and informing them, but then stepping out of your own way.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, just being willing to visit your own brain and and to help other people visit their brains to just be humble about why am I thinking this way you know and, and, and is that a valid approach? Is that a valid bubble that I'm carrying around? Is that bubble still accurate? you know is that biased stereotype belief that I've got based on all my previous experience? does that still fit the world today so it it's you've got to be a little bit vulnerable in the sense that you've got to be willing to update or refresh your own bubbles constantly. Right. And this doesn't mean you're wishy-washy. It doesn't mean you can't make decisions. There's a big difference here. It just means when you
0: do make them, you're very conscious and intentional. Right. So you've now focused on winning. You've you've uh, gotten everybody to, you know, circle around that vision. And and now it's time to get inspired. And it it almost <laughs> seems like inspiration is is something that should be fairly divorced from from how your brain operates, right? Because it's that it's that gut, it's the heart. Um and it doesn't feel like the brain should be involved, but I know you're going to tell me it is.
1: Yes, indeed. <laughs> it is inextricably linked. <laughs> so, you know, because we are not logical rational creatures and what I, what we want to always do is use every tool we've got to manipulate the adult human only for good. Um, to get in the race with us and to, to make sure we all get to the destination. And so there are things that tug at our heartstrings. There are things that um, inspire us that are not necessarily logical, and we want to use all of those. And we can use the brain as our vehicle to do that. Um, and And this involves everything from the simplest things. You've informed people. You've talked about where you're going. You've defined the destination with specificity. You've opened their brains to possibilities by getting them engaged and figuring out the how they did it. And then you want to just constantly talk about the difference you're making in the world. And and this you could be a producer or a manufacturer of widgets. You're still making a difference to someone for something. This is sharing customer testimonials. This is, you know, um sharing ways that you've helped people. Again, whether it's with a widget or whether it's, you know, some breakthrough technology that saves lives in some way shape form or fashion we all have a need to be connected to that so the inspiring is really about constantly sharing the story of the journey and here's in at its core what it's really about and why the brain is so involved in this Um, at our most basic as an adult human our deepest instinct is to win and if I've talked about the race we're in I've, I've provided you the tools and the coaching and the feedback, and we're constantly talking about how we got there, I am tapping into that motivation that you have to win. No one wants to hang out with losers. No one wants to be on a losing team, right? And we all are going to spend more time working than probably anything else we do in our entire life. We want to win. And that at its core is why I can inspire you through your brain.
0: Well, you know, Holly, I have uh, I have been trying to inspire the travel industry uh, to expand their focus for a number of years. I've been, you know, mm-hmm. like the lone voice in the wilderness. And a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, I wrote a book called Dare to Differentiate because I wanted, because as you may know, most, most of our industry is run by men, and I thought, well, they, they can't help themselves if they're dared to do something. But now I see very clearly (laughs) that differentiating was scary and vague. And I am going to rewrite and update that book and call it Dare to Win because the the challenge was the wrong challenge to inspire.
1: Well, I mean, I think you had the right challenge. It may just have been the language needs to be tweaked, right? So because I agree with you, if you can tap into the competitive spirit, uh, it's amazing what people will will and can do. To do that, right, we but have people
0: to be don't wake up clear. in the morning and say, "I'm going to differentiate today." That's they right. say, "I'm going to win."
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you'll have to begin to to unthread, if you will, what does winning mean, and be very, right. very clear with examples on what that looks like and what it can mean and what it has meant for others. Um, You're absolutely right. I mean, it it is fascinating. Listen, why else do we sit around and watch football on Sunday? You know, it's kind of stupid. But we love it. (laughs) We love the competition. You know, we love the Olympics. We love, um, we're we're fascinated with sports. Um, So All of these things are just tapping into that sort of notion of being associated with winning and somehow experiencing it. Definitely. So I say, let's learn from all of that. And apply it at work and quite frankly we I rarely see it applied at work and that's what got me on this journey about 15 years ago it's what originally got me into neurophysiology is you know I had a great degree I'd gone to great schools I worked for great companies and I walked into meetings and thought huh these people didn't read chapter three of that book clearly (laughs) why why are they acting so strangely why is it so ineffective?" Um, And and so we have to learn to play to things that work with us, to manipulate for good, to do the things that are good, um, and and stop stepping back and trying to be logical about some of it, right? I mean, I don't know how many times you've ever gone to a meeting where there was an agenda and over half the stuff never got talked about. People were not prepared. And, you know, we cut conversations short. We didn't have the depth of conversation we needed. Nobody took notes. There was no follow-up. Well, that's logical, right? <laughs> well, why do we perpetuate those sorts of behaviors? It's fascinating. And so that that honestly is what got me into this to begin with. And right. and because I do have the, the pleasure of working with, you know, everyone from senior NFL referees to musicians to Olympic athletes, et cetera, uh, we began to look at that and take those techniques from other spaces, other sectors, if you will, and apply them in business.
0: Right. Well, I love Chapter 6 because this is what you've just been discussing, this getting that ongoing engagement. Mm -hmm. And we aren't taught – I mean, I don't think there's a course on engagement in business school, but if there was ever anything (laughs) that was more important, particularly in the electronic world, where people are vying for each other's attention – and even with the Executive Girlfriends Group, one of our ongoing struggles, we can get people to sign up, but we can't get engagement – and and yeah. we're gonna change that next year. You know, we we're real but we're gonna do it on purpose. We keep hoping engagement will just happen because content <laughs> is good and, and you know, we have these amazing speakers and you know, we just you know, we need to start over. So I, I wanna hone in on one thing in this chapter and you've got something called the seven 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 exercise.
1: Yeah. Tell me about
0: that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's <laughs>
1: It's one of those really simple, it seems very, very simple on the surface, right? Um, And it's an incredibly hard thing to do. Uh, It doesn't have to be, but because we haven't developed that habit, it can tend to be hard to do until we've really created new myelin wiring. And by the way, that's the only thing that we know of today about the brain that creates sort of that instinctual quick go-to response is the thickness of the myelin wiring. And the only thing that creates the myelin wiring is practice, having done it, right? So this is why we can often go to the learning sessions or listen in on great material or read content and then not do anything, right? So when you think about 777, it's really seven minutes. That's it, just seven minutes. And think about the next seven days and what you're gonna do and then seek at least seven points of feedback on that behavior. You have to practice new behavior. Your brain does not learn something new if you haven't physically done
0: something with it, if you haven't resorted the file. Got it. Got it. Well, that makes so much sense. And you also talk in that same uh, chapter about keeping a scorecard. And, I mean, I I preach uh, continually to my clients on the importance of metrics and that people do repeat uh, what they're they're measured on and and oh sure we want reward them, they do repeat it over and over again.
1: We want to win. It all goes back to that same thing. <laughs> the key thing is to measure what really matters. Don't just measure a lot of crap. Measure what really right. matters. Okay. Measure at the level it matters. So if you have point of activity employees, measuring EBITDA for them is an irrelevant concept. Doesn't mean yeah. you shouldn't talk about it at the all-company meeting kind of thing, but what you've got to measure is what matters day to day. I and mean, then you've got to be really careful. You know, I had a client one time, um, and I won't say the name of them, uh, but <laughs> they uh, they sold a they were a business to consumer. They sold a product mostly online and over the phone. Um, and they decided that they wanted to start tracking call time in their in their call center. And they really wanted to, you know, get the call time as short as they possibly could. And they thought that would be a really great metric. That meant they could put, you know, push more business uh, right. through that pipe, if you will. Well, the only problem was they did that for about a month and found that it was absolutely destroying them. And the reason was is because the call service folks were doing such a great job handling issues and problems that they were creating truly loyal customers by spending a bit more time on the phone and making sure the product got delivered on time, and if not, that something was done appropriate to deal with it. And so what they measured was the wrong thing, (laughs) right? They measured call time when, in fact, it was the inverse. And so you have to be really cautious. And only measure what matters and measure what truly leads to the destination. And then remind people of, you know, I always say obsessively, relentlessly about that because I'm going to forget. Right, right. No,
0: and I I have seen exactly that. I was just – I gave a, a webinar to the investment community on Wednesday about the travel industry and was talking about hotels uh, you know, who are trying to push consumers to buy directly from them. And they're offering mm-hmm. the absolute lowest rate if you'll come to us. And then they wonder why their profits are diminishing. It's like, wait a minute, did you not think this all the way through? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and the same thing is everybody's trying to buy peop- or drive people to buy online. And because everybody's shifting to mobile, it's like, okay, everybody buy on mobile. Well, what's happening is call center bookings are going back up. Because mm-hmm. as people are going to mobile, you know they're pressing the call now button rather than going through and doing the transaction. So uh, that un- law of unintended consequence mm-hmm. comes in there somewhere as well. So the last chapter, Holly, is is about winning every day, and I can't think of a better way to end our call uh, than really talking about what what does it take to develop that winning mindset.
1: Well, you, you know, getting really clear. Um, not being afraid to fail. I always say if you're not failing, then you're not trying hard enough because you don't know <laughs> where the edge is, right? Um, right. That doesn't mean fail big. I always fail, you know, fail small, fail fast, um, right. fail early, get it over with, right? <laughs> and you've got to just start. You've got to take a single step. You've got to move forward. Um, you don't want to be unresponsive at any point. So once you get clear on winning, you've got to be willing to refresh that, to update that, Um and you, no matter who you are, you do want a team around you, and it may not be the traditional team that you have direct reports, et cetera. It may be a different kind of ecosystem, you know whether it's your bankers or other vendors or suppliers you work with because you're an independent consultant or you know whatever it is, whoever that team is, get clear on that team and leverage the abilities of that team. Too few people truly do that; they only use very traditional channels. The more people that you get engaged in what winning is for you, for your organization, um, and what it means to others, the more likely our people are to help you. And by the way, that's a kind of a global uh, commonality. Unless you're a sociopath, um, you (laughs) want to help other people. And we do, just so you know, we have more sociopaths at work than we do in prison statistically. So I throw that in there, right? right? So there are a few here and there. But in general, people want to help one another. We want to be associated with winners. We want to contribute to you winning, and we want to win too. So again, all you've got to do is really manipulate to that.
0: Absolutely. Well, and and you end the book by uh, getting people to focus on actually getting it done, putting these things into practice. And and the book contains tons of diagrams that, for those of you who are visual and and don't do well with a lot of words – Uh, Holly is great at uh, providing uh, illustrations uh, to this book. But you end the book saying, have fun. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Because our brains must need that or we wouldn't do it. (laughs) Well, I
1: always say your brain loves when you visit. It gets tremendous energy from you thinking, playing, pondering, wandering with it just a little bit. So make sure you're building in to do that, some time to do that. We've stripped that away. We've stripped that out of our lives. We are trying to multitask, which, again, we cannot do, but we sure try. Uh, We're trying to cram much too much into this kind of finite amount of time we have in a day. And and what's amazing is if you find yourself, if you can really force yourself to slow down, to pause and think, you're going to get much more done. You're going to get the right things done. You're going to end up where you want to end up, right? But for some reason, we have created this global bubble if you will that speed trumps everything and it doesn't it just simply doesn't just running is not what we want to be doing running in the right direction is great running with your team in the same race is what you want right to enable that you've got to slow down just enough to make it happen
0: exactly well, Holly, thank you so much. Again, her book is Using Your Brain to Win in Today's Hyper-Paced World. Holly, can you uh, share with folks how they can get in touch with you if they would like for you to speak at an event or if their company uh, wants to do some retooling and uh, better and more effectively using their collective brains?
1: Absolutely. Um, the, the simplest way is just to reach out to me on email or visit one of our websites. My email is Holly at thehumanfactor.biz and we've got a couple of websites thehumanfactor.biz as well as morethanaminute.com and on morethanaminute.com you're going to find dozens and dozens of free tools and templates and frameworks etc so I encourage you to please take advantage of those you'll find the book there as well and of course uh, all the books are also available on Kindle.
0: Great. And uh, for those of you who would like to listen to my first interview with with Holly about More Than a Minute, just go to com slash live, and that's solutions with a Z, and then search for More Than a Minute, and you will find that and can listen to that as well. Holly, thank you so, so much, and I am... So, so glad I was not multitasking today uh, during our interview. The last time we tried to have this interview, I was driving and I did get rear ended uh, right at the beginning of the interview. So, uh, uh, thank you for your patience with me in getting this rescheduled. But it has been, I, I can tell you, just personally for me, this interview could not have come at a better time. Uh, because i 'm involved in a venture that i 'm really trying to to shape it moving forward, and I think that uh, just the uh, example of how to frame um, the story and instead of writing a business plan, that destination st- statement, and looking back at you know how did we do it, when did we get it done, what yeah. did it look like? I love that, and I can tell you I am going to sit down this afternoon and write my destination statement.
1: Oh, how fun! I'll be excited to hear about it. It's hard to believe that it was five or six years ago when we first met and talked about the first oh, book. Oh
0: no! Oh my
1: goodness I gracious! I know
0: it has gone by. We we just celebrated the six year anniversary of the Executive Girlfriends Group, and I think I might have interviewed you uh, just when I was doing my Solutions Live radio show. I don't remember. Uh But, yeah, it's been a fun ride. I've done over 400 interviews with just the most amazing authors, and I always get the biggest kick when I go to the, the bookstore and I stand at Barnes & Noble in front of the, the business bookshelf and, and uh, <laughs> I'm able to point out all the people I've interviewed just, you know, if only to myself. <laughs> But
1: uh, again, thank you so much. We all like to be with winners. (laughs)
0: Yes, (laughs) we do. We do, absolutely. Well, Holly, thank you so much. And at this time, I'm going to turn off uh, the recorded portion of our call. And Holly, again, uh, just have a super weekend. Thank you so much.
1: You do the same, and thank you. Keep me posted on this new journey for you. I'll be anxious to hear how it goes. Absolutely.
0: You've been listening to The Game Changer, ideas, inspiration, innovation with Chickie Fitzgerald.